0: Welcome to my podcast, In The Know, my series of interviews with amazing people doing amazing things as I travel around the world of no-tell. On this episode, I have Seju Zhang, who's the co-founder of Noom. He's got an amazing story of how he got to creating that company that works so hard to help people lead healthier lives. Seju, welcome to In The Know. I'm so appreciative that you're willing to be on this uh, show with us.
1: My pleasure Thank thanks for having me. This is Sage
0: Why do you join these kinds of things? Aren't you a busy man running a giant company that sprawls the earth and helps people (laughs) live healthier lives?
1: I'm very busy, actually. I want to be uh, responsible for my time for company, but because you call me and you're my friend. I want to be polite, too. <laughs> okay, well, I'm
0: sorry to be taking advantage of our relationship.
1: Yeah, if you reset my time, let's finish this in five minutes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think people have a lot to learn from you, homie. You have a no. lot to share, and uh, I don't know if five minutes is enough. Maybe I could learn a handful of things, but the way you got to running this business at the scale it's at right now, I think is going to be like a Harvard Business School story. Uh, oh my one God. of the cases they study in the years ahead. <laughs> And I'm just excited to be
1: early in building the mythology. I'm literally flattered. Thank you very much. I wanna share my experience and especially mistake. So any other great entrepreneurs are listening this message and I want them avoid the predictable errors and mistake I actually made. So Hmm. that's my interest to share today.
0: All right, yeah, let's go there. Let's start, however, with where you came from because Mm -hmm. starting a company is not so easy building Mm -hmm. a great company is even harder. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of it depends on where you begin.
1: Yeah. So 12 years ago, it's been a long time now. 2008. Yeah. We have a decade history, starting from New York City, Manhattan. I did not expect it it would take that much time to build product market fit. But uh, the journey was fruitful though. It was sometimes very difficult, but to be honest, the journey was very um, meaningful. I have Numerous great memories with my partner and also my uh, teammates. So it's a great journey, but obviously very difficult.
0: (laughs) They always are. I mean, they sort of sound easy once you
1: win, but Mm -hmm.
0: they always are. So 2008, literally 12 years ago, March 2008, like what's the first day of Noom's existence?
1: I actually started from uh, Queens in Flushing, where all the Asians live there because of cheap and Asian community. I oh, I grew up in Queens. Company. I mean,
0: I went to music school in Flushing. I know it well.
1: Oh dude, that's why we are, we, we instantly like each other from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I registered the company and then my co-founder, still I'm a great partner and a brother of him, Artem Petakov and I had great vision that we should apply the technology to build a service that is actually delivering a great service to end users, tech startup and healthcare and we registered the company and then yeah, we jumped out of the cliff together and it's been a great journey.
0: All right, but you're oversimplifying. I mean, did you grow up in Flushing? Like, you know, how did you get to that spot? Where did you begin?
1: Oh yeah, of my personal story. I don't mind to share that. So I came from South Korea, a suburb area like Charleston in America, seaside area, suburb. I'm like country boy. I grew up at there. My father was a medical doctor and the CEO of the medical center. I was exposed to healthcare since I was young because my father found the healthcare center with his uncle and his brothers with my uncle and sisters. Still, we are operating the business. So I was exposed to healthcare since the inception of my life that I can remember. I was hanging out at the hospital like that. And my father was an OBGYN specialist. I was happy boy. I, I loved my father. My relationship was extremely good. Everything was simple. I went to a school in Seoul. I studied electrical engineering, and I found the first company when I was 19. As soon as I got to uh, school, I think my entrepreneurship was kind of unavoidable. It's kind of like I knew it. I love the business, but I actually wanted to. I, I found the company because I was so frustrated that a lot of the getting of music the CD and the music. It was a music company. It's a pre-MP3 era, so I'm now an old man, right? So it was right before MP3 digital uh, streaming season, so people had to purchase CD, the LP CD like that, and the experience was horrible in South Korea. That was before K-pop season. So I'm a huge music fan, by the I'm still music is my the strongest passion too. So I was frustrated that it's so difficult to purchase importing CDs in South Korea. So I found a company as soon as I got into college, and it was quite successful because I found online CD shopping uh, mall and also and expand my business it was a lot of fun. It, that gave me the opportunity to learn about being an entrepreneur and do my business. So I paid a lot of attention to entrepreneurship rather I was studying hard at engineering school. So life was good and busy. And then when I was second uh, so four more at college, my mom called in one day and I knew something was wrong. My mom told me that we have to have a family meeting. And I took the train, it took six hours to get there. And we had a dinner together and my father told me that he got a lung cancer. Very late stage, so we need to prepare something, and that was a very um, difficult time for us. Eventually, he passed away. I had oh, around God. one year. He received six months, but he worked really hard to make sure that he can extend a little bit more. So we had a, about one year together, and that was a gift because I loved my father so much, and he was uh, such a charismatic man, very charismatic and also humble man. I had a very hard time. Still, I remember him so clearly, and. There's a lot of things that I learned from him. I'm still carrying his questions about the life. And I think that is one of the reasons that I was able to start the business doom too. But I will tell you why more. That time, we both worked hard. My father reserved the energy to download his lesson to me. And I was working and it came to hospital and he gave me a 40-minute lecture every day until he cannot speak because he got a lung cancer. So eventually he wow. couldn't speak at the end. But that was the most beautiful moment I, you know, like the, it's a gift. I had a lot of hard time, but my father was a very strong man. So he gave a, a day to think. And when I came the evening, my mom gave me a father and son moment and he put the words together to download the knowledge and the lessons that he learned from the, the world before he depart. And a few of the comments really, enlightened me to think harder after he passed away. And the key lessons I want to share, he said, being a doctor was a great life, but the way he viewed himself is kind of like highly paid manual labor work. Meaning, he said, see, you look at me that I cannot help the patient because I'm sick, I'm on the bed, I cannot help any patient, so I feel bad about that because to become a medical doctor, I spent like two decades to study and I served hard. But now I'm sick and I will likely leave and I cannot help anymore, any lives. So I feel better about that. So think, think about how you can build a platform that is not manual labor, it's scalable. And often, entrepreneur can achieve that. And uh, that's why he uh, inspired me first. And second, he said he managed a lot of patients and he warned the patients to uh, make sure their weight and also uh, below sugar level and the blood pressure, all these uh, these are related to lifestyle, so have to watch out to prevent any complications, but often fail and patients come back with difficult problem and uh, he has to do uh, more aggressive action, including surgery. So he said, The healthcare system is a bit strange because as a doctor, people respect me as a, the leader of healthcare, but I became a sick care expert, sick care. So I felt bad, he said, because I should serve my role how I can prevent the disease and make sure they're well-being. But I was able to help more sick people. and As I helped so many sick people, they respect me more. So it's a little, there's a big delta, my role and what I'm supposed to do and what the world expects me to do. So that was a big question mark to me. And as he said, I couldn't resolve it. So you should think about it, says you. And third, he said, he studied in the United States, so he had a short exposure to the United States, and he said that was one of the best moments he had when he was young because he studied in the United States and he was able to meet so many different races and also different backgrounds. He really liked it. He said, it really brought my perspective of the world and there are great people out there. Korea is a beautiful land, but the world is big and there are a lot of great people out there, smart, beautiful, nice, kind, so be abroad, just follow your name. My name is Seju and the meaning of my name is Phoenix, the Phoenix uh, fly to the wall. That's the meaning of my name, Seju in, in Korean. So he said, I named you to be a global man. So follow your name. So go global, Seju. That was his, uh, the key message. And after he passed away, I went to army as all Korean men had to serve for the country. I served for a country for three years and that gave me the opportunity to think his questions and remaining question he couldn't resolve, but it passed down to me. I've been thinking and still today, after three years of serving for the Army, it was a great experience because I was able to clear my cloudy head and then it became very clear what I should do next. So I dropped out of college because I knew I already have seen the bigger role than just being an engineer. Not that I'm I'm not saying being an engineer is a bad job, it's just like it's not my number one talent. I was clear that I need to go abroad, build a company that serve for the public sector and do something big. I didn't have a clear strategy, but I had a clear vision and I came to United States, New York, because New York is completely opposite of South Korea. Seoul. So I thought that will give me the most difficult environment to discover my talents, but that will give me the chance to grow well. And I came in New York 2005, January 21st, and I spent two years first to learn English because I didn't speak English at all by then. I hustled a lot to pay the bill. I did a lot of part-time job, uh, contract job. Like I sold the Verizon smartphone on the street. I did a lot of like I sold like blind and interior design products perfume, like a lot of things to pay the bill, to be honest. And I made a friend one by one, and um, I became a little comfortable to have survival English. And I back to Manhattan because I started my life from Long Island because it's cheaper to stay in the United States, Long Island, uh, New York. And I came to New York City as I felt comfortable with survival English. And then um, I was looking for opportunity. And then uh, my friend by the time, Artem and I I met Artem through my friends and we became a best friend each other. We spent another two years together as a friend. And then there was an, an, uh, the discussion I had with Artem. You
0: had arrived in New York with a mission. You had arrived yeah, with a mission. Did you it. tell these guys your mission, your friend?
1: Yeah. Artem Petakov is my co founder, brother. I love him. Matter of fact, I'm having a dinner tonight as usual. We usually have a dinner every every week, like family, family. Yeah, he's an immigrant from Ukraine. So he had a lot of respect to another like me, like a foreigner by the time. And he really liked the, my mission, why I came to the United States. He was wise enough. He was able to understand why I came to United States. So I think that's why he welcomed me. He did not push me back. He welcomed me and uh, he became a great friend and he's amazing partner with me. Thanks for listening, by the way. I I think I speak too much. (laughs) I don't know.
0: (laughs) So you knew what you wanted to do when you first showed up. You knew you had to hustle your way to a certain place. And as you got to that place, you had surrounded yourself with some people that you thought could start that journey, move that journey forward. And now you're in July 2008?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So found the company and we had a CSS. We had a CSS that everything Silicon Valley is disrupting a lot of, the traditional legacy business. And that's possible because often a great company pay attention to end users. Artem and I, we were naive enough, but we were brave enough to analyze why the general healthcare has issues. So we concluded if the product is really paying attention to end users, who is a patient? Rather pay attention to who is paying for the service. I think that service will deliver great outcome in terms of health, and because of that, that company can be respected and be uh, strong. That is our success. And second success, to make that happen, let's invite problem-solving great product-driven people, like how Silicon Valley, often Silicon Valley companies are approaching to the problem, that was 2008. So we interviewed a lot of healthcare companies. We found one similarity among the healthcare companies that it's not a cool place to attract a good product people. I'm overly generalized right now, by the way, but I was more naive, so I was able to see, oh wow, if we build really like the product driven company for end users who is a patient, then we may have a chance to build a great company. That was our thesis, and we stick with it and we found company.
0: It's like such a broad agenda at the beginning. It's so vision and values driven.
1: Correct. You weren't thinking, Completely hey, part. we're gonna help yes. people lose weight? Not at all, my friend, not at all. It took another six I mean, what'd you to write in the PowerPoint? The
0: you had to like raise money. You can't raise yeah, money without, without so, a PowerPoint that's like this person's going to pay
1: $7. So, I, again, I was very inexperienced and probably I was not ready, but I, I think I was ready to like just tackle it as I'm a like, hustler. We had a several ideas prototype at the beginning and we built a fitness machine. Our first prototype is exactly the same concept of Peloton of today that we convert stationary bike with sensors and interactive screen, we can provide interactive uh, training session and also uh, compete or cooperate with the other cyclers. So we had that prototype. We built three prototype, and I was pitching to investors. I was trying to sell the service to a gym over two years and I failed to raise any single dime and I failed to convince any gym owners over two years. That was our first product. Prototype.
0: Well, I mean, sounds, and you didn't even have smartphones at that point. You
1: were like making some
0: custom hardware. No.
1: No. We installed the sensors and installed the interactive touch screen in front of the stationary bike. That was our concept. And a product was, I mean, Seju, easy, but I think, uh,
0: you were obviously crazy.
1: I mean, <laughs> I think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and after two years of doing it, of course you should give up at that point. Right. So you gave up um, right
1: no i didn't give up on that product but i stick with the same team my co-founder we pivot from there so we realized a selling to the gym is not a good idea they don't have money second hardware business cost so much third investors generally do not like the 15th gym uh, release startup so we learned it in a very painful way so we pivot toward like infrared reading like free weight lifting machine. So we had a lot of bunch of stupid ideas by then. It all did not work. So what happened was we didn't have much money left. Actually, I had $3,000 left in my bank, $3,000. And I was so devastated that I don't have money. I, I failed to raise capital. So we had urgent the meeting with my co-founder my engineer by the time. And had, guys, we really have to prove any working prototype that is promising is working and then we had brainstorming, and that night, we decided, let's build an application, because that was the time Apple and Google were competing to launching the App Store. Apple launched the App Store a little ahead of the Google platform, so Google was rushing to launch Android platform, so we heard about that, so we received the SDK and developed the app, and then uh, we worked really hard day and night, really mega hard, like, Every single day, including weekend, we worked really hard and we launched the first application which is called Cardio Trainer. It's a, a GPS based fitness tracking application and we became the first fitness app at Android Market because we launched the day first of Android Market. And that's how we were able to survive our company by then.
0: So you finally get lucky.
1: Yes. And with that, luckily I got a call from Kleiner Perkins. Because we made some success over five months after we launched the application, it became number one download the application at fitness app store. And a client partner contact me, and we met that we met the partner, and they uh, they wrote a check of the seed investment.
0: That's amazing. That Thank is you. amazing.
1: That was like amazing. Like I was absolutely bankrupt, didn't have any money. And a client partner contact us, and they gave us uh, pretty good money actually, a lot seed investment. That's <laughs> how we became a real company.
0: And from there it was just easy. Now you've just been special checked for the last no. eight
1: years. No, 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 no. We made a total mistake. Oh man. I mean, this interview you know it will take like three hours, man. I mean no, no. I made a lot of mistakes <laughs> Give me your so. three
0: favorites. Your humility is disarming and I think the depth of the story of, of where you come from and what orients you is so powerful. And of course we could talk for three hours. I have all day for you. But our listeners I suspect <laughs> will quite appreciate In the roughly decade since then right it was like 2010 app store launches you raised that first round and now you're like a multi-billion dollar company you must have done some things right and you must have gotten lucky but it sounded like you had a few um predictable and repeatable errors that you'd like to share why don't we do three of them
1: yeah i think that's a good question so first We continue to evolve our product as an app company in the beginning, but we could not figure the business model, right? So first mistake I want to share, if I go back to those times, I would spend more time to think how we can build a business model early enough rather than stick with the product. I think we were unbalanced. We spent a lot of time to build a product and we actually had a good product, but the product did not have a business model for a long time and company has to depend on the investment. I think that was our first mistake. If I can go back, I would find the right balance in terms of locating my time and our resources to build a great product and also make sure we figure the product market fit, including what makes sense as a business. And second...
0: Well, on that first one, I mean, can you overthink mm -hmm. it? Like you're searching for something people might want. You're searching for opportunity that might match the times you live in. You make this app, you put it on the app store, boom, you're number one. I mean, if you had sat that night that you were working on that prototype and thought well what's the business model let's not do this is it possible you didn't do the steps in the right order i mean does the business model come first
1: really honestly Emil, i think we kind of always delay let's figure the product uh, business model later i think we were naive we didn't want to face the challenge which is the business model let me give you an example we were number one the most downloaded application fit in store at Android market for many years. And we were top crossing application, but we didn't pay attention how we can scale up in terms of business because we made less than $2 million per year. We were happy enough that we were number one at the market for many years. Does it make sense? By the time... Yeah, we it's were not enough, like,
0: but it's not enough. At a certain time, you need to come. Um, and if certainly, we live now in a time in 2020 when a business that works and makes money is 10 times more valuable than a business that just has downloads. Right. Lesson
1: one, okay. Lesson yeah. two. Lesson two. So now it's a super simple, but by then it was like, a, I don't know why it takes so long. So we were monitoring how the real world was working, meaning our product manager was monitoring how the real world is working, for instance. So we were curious because we built AI-based coaching service by then, six years ago, okay? So we charge nine ninety nine per month then we unlocked the AI engine to provide Noom Pro service, which is AI coach can guide you every day to manage your weight and get better. And one day our PM was monitoring and just observing how the real world is set up. For instance, just watch interaction between the client and the therapist. And there was a lot of wow moments that it works. And also the client is paying quite a lot of dollars, like $100 per session. And uh, we were like, wait a second. Why people are not, people don't hesitate to pay that much dollars for the session. And that works. The problem is not scalable. So we had a moment that, oh my God, we should repeat this. And then we built an MVP version that we put the human coach to interact with our end users by then. And it delivered better results. So we Hmm. realized, yeah, human needs a human. And we learned from just simply watching how the real world is working. And I'm kind of like now, kind of silly, we didn't pay attention to how the real world is working. My takeaway is, I think because we're so nerdy and all engineer-driven companies, so I think we did not pay attention to how the world is working. I think we just sat down together at the apartment and just building. We, we were busy to building or coding, you know, the software. So we didn't pay attention to the real world, how the world is working. So if we had a little more open eyes to see uh, before we build the monitor, how people behave. And I think we could discover our current product market fit, which is we put the human culture with AI hybrid, and that is our product market fit with Figa six years ago. I think we could have done that sooner. So my takeaway is don't overthink and also do not overlook how the current the model is working if you want to disrupt the market. Does it make sense?
0: Yeah. Were you hiding in an apartment for the first few years or were you in an office?
1: We were at the Hallam apartment because we were poor. So we were just like a bunch of nerds, all the software engineers just sitting and staying, working and uh, living together at the apartment.
0: Amazing. I mean, because it's 2020 right now, right? And uh, all right. working from home is happening everywhere. There are some insights, some powerful breakthroughs that happen 1665, Isaac Newton gets sent home because Cambridge shuts down during the plague that's moving and he invents the calculus. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, if you want to invent something that people will use, if you want to understand the people that want something new, you might not be able to do it in isolation.
2: Most workspaces today are vying for millennial attention by creating unlimited beer and ping pong tables, those are all great things to do. Maybe at work, maybe not at work, but it's completely missing the point, which is that our minds are increasingly taken up by bullshit and by media that wants us rather than wants to give to us. And at work, in order to expand our creativity, to focus our minds, there are a number of hacks that we can introduce in addition to beer and ping pong, like meditation, like reading Simon Sinek, Seth Godin, but that all aside, it's really about the space that we occupy. So if we're in a cluttered space, our mind is often cluttered. That aside, having a space that is diverse as the people are, that is comfortable, that is easily movable, that can be constructed and reconstructed and deconstructed in the same amounts of time, where you're surrounded by other people that are enjoying that type of space, is a pretty cool thing. If the workspace can be a definite workspace, but a good workspace, then you're in business.
0: So this podcast is brought to you by Notel. Thanks for
1: listening. Third one is the focus. So I made a big mistake and I take it very personally that I made a faulty decision. So after I raised capital series B, I had around $50 million in the bank. And I felt like, wow, that's a lot of dollars. So let's go really aggressive to launch our product to the market. For instance, we felt comfortable that our application was strong and deliver good results. So with that much amount of dollars we have in the bank, I thought we can tackle the payer market of the insurance companies in the United States. So I followed the general advice that I hired the sales guy, business development guy, account manager, business marketing guys, all the uh, B2B, the traditional like setup, I did it and I invest a lot of money and we also developed two products. So one B2C product and B2B product. So we divide the company to twofold, B2C product and B2B product and also B2B uh, human resources. And that was a big mistake for number one, huge distraction. We couldn't, our product team, Lost agents because they have to pay attention to two products, and second, B2B is not so easy if you have not done it, because it takes a longer sales cycle. And healthcare, I mean, healthcare has a lot of broken communication, and there's a lot of multiple layer of, of stakeholders to have to prove to get the new service, and I overlooked that. And for startup, time is money, and definitely uh, trying to do a beauty business killed our company. So it almost killed the company. I had to make a very big decision that I shy away. Almost from killed B2B. your company?
0: Almost killed? Yeah, like, because I... Seriously, that big? Literally.
1: No, because I couldn't close any meaningful deal that I can pay back to our the team. So the team became big and there's no meaningful scale of business that I was able to close it. So by the time I already raised capital... so. I, I was in trouble that investors are expecting us to prove the scale of business model, but we couldn't figure. Second, I already raised pretty, you know, pretty big amount of dollars. So our valuation cannot justify our um, the previous round like that. Third, our product team was overloaded because of the, the demand from B2C and B2B. So that was not a good choice. The focus, Losing the focus was the really like the beater. So it was a painful lesson. So I restructured the company. Yeah. And I restructured company and I made everyone pay attention to one matrix and pay attention to our product only. And that's why the company was able to back to normal speed of growth. And we became super fast growing last four years. Like every year we made four or five X revenue and company delivered good results because we pay attention to our end user service experience, and that really paid back to our performance, and I'm extremely thankful. So that's my number three, the lesson I want to share with you.
0: That's amazing, Seju. Your story is insane.
1: How often do you go tell this story to people? Oh, I think you're
0: going to inspire a generation of people. No, no, no,
1: no, no. I share this with my uh, new people. I often remind us to myself and our team that we must be thankful where we are today. For so many users we have now, last year, 2019, we earned $237 million. And um, to make that happen, we need to close so many transactions from so many users are giving us a a dollars for the value. So we must deliver great service quality. I remind them every single week. I literally remind them every single week to my people because it's important. And it's important. I don't know how I can express better. It's important to deliver great service experience because our service is very personal. People struggle with their weight and lifestyle. And they gave us a chance to give a value that we can help them to change behavior to get a better weight management. Extremely personal matters. And we have a chance to deliver the health, which is a great gift. So I tell my people, like, we should not cheer where we are now we should shut up and just head down, build a great service, and deliver a better product every single day. Otherwise, we should be dead. That's what I'm telling my people all the time.
0: Deju, your story is inspiring. It is incredible that you chose to spend a few minutes on In The now.
1: Thank, Thank you, sir.
0: Hey, listeners. Thanks for subscribing. Or thanks for just tuning in. A special request from me on this podcast that you are growing to love of people telling us how to spread great ideas. Write a review, please. A five-star review spreads the word, and people will follow. Cheers. Thank you.